worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors. He parted the raging sea. My God, he holds the victory. Let's join in the house of the Lord. We sing to the God who heals, we sing to the God who saves, we sing to the God who always makes a way. Cause he hung up on that cross, then he rose up from the grave, our God still rolling stones away. There's joy in the house of the Lord, there's joy in the house of the Lord today, and we won't be quiet. Shout out your praise, let's join the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place, and we won't be quiet. We'll shout out your praise. We were the beggars, and now we're royalty. We were the prisoners, and now we're running free. We are forgiven. Accepted, redeemed by His grace, let the house of the Lord sing praise. We are the beggars, and now we're royalty. We were the prisoners, and now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. And we won't be quiet. We'll shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. And we won't be quiet. We'll shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We'll shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. with me. Oh Lord, today we commemorate the day you burst open that grave and uh, the world changed. Lord, if there's anybody within the sound of my voice that needs to uh, repent and believe today, Lord, we pray that today would be the day of their salvation. And Lord, for the rest of us who are believers, we pray that we will take very, very seriously 
what this song just said. It's sort of a joyful song, sort of a, you can sing it with a toe tap, but boy, there's, there's stuff in there that we need to remember. We won't be quiet because you've risen and we've got to tell the world. So Lord, help us to remember that and to do that, not just on Easter Sunday, but every day that we have breath, we tell of your glorious resurrection. Lord, thank you for today, for us being able to celebrate, and it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, please be seated. And um, so we welcome you, and we've got a, a little uh, connection card to, to fill out. I think it looks like this in the back of the pew, your pew back there in front of you. Now, today is a little bit unique, not just because it's Easter, because, but it's the first day that we have available uh, our, a welcome team out there who wants to specially greet you if you're a first-time guest. So if you fill this out, keep this with you and take it to the uh, Connection Center. Just go out and sort of hang a little bit of a left. You'll see the Connection Team out there, welcome team, and, and take that to them. And they'd love to give you a gift today, so please do that. For the rest of us, you can just fill these out and, and put those in the, uh, in the offering plate. Or if you have a prayer request card, be sure and put those in the offering plate later, okay? Um, all right, we are going to sing some more songs of Christ's resurrection, uh, Because He Lives. Now, there's a point in this song where we're going to split, and the praise team's going to sing one thing, me and the choir, and you are going to sing something else. So don't let these guys distract you. They're just window dressing, okay? So... <laughs> So just follow follow me on that one, okay? I believe in the sun. I believe in the risen one.
the Lamb, worthy of our praise. Worthy is the one who has overcome the grave. Let the people dance, let the people sing. Worthy is the mighty King. Worthy is the Lamb, worthy of our praise. Worthy is the one who has overcome the grave. Let the people dance, let the people sing. Worthy is the mighty King. Worthy is the Lamb, worthy of our praise. Worthy is the one who has overcome the grave. Let the people dance, let the people sing. Worthy is the Lamb, worthy of our praise. Worthy is the one who has overcome the grave. Let the people dance, let the people sing. Worthy is the mighty King. Worthy is the Lamb, worthy of our praise. Worthy is the one who has overcome the grave. Let the people dance, let the people sing. receiving of the offering today. Lord God, we just come before you now uh, with what you've given us, this greatest gift of all salvation. There's no point in us trying to outgive you or, or give you back. It's not going to work. It's not going to get us to heaven. It's not going to earn us one thing, but it will do this. It will show our obedience to you. And so, Lord, we pray that each and every believer would uh, just uh, be obedient today in their act of giving. Uh, Lord, may each and every penny uh, go to further your kingdom and give you all praise and glory. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, as we sing this song, I want it to be a reminder that Christ came out of the grave but if you're dead in your sin, you've got a grave to come out of. And he made it possible for you. Amen? So let's sing together. I was buried in my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my tomb. Till I met you, I was breathing but not alive. All my failures I tried to hide. Was my tomb? It was my tomb. Till I.
Once again, Jesus is alive. came to show us love God in the flesh sent from above he healed the sick made blind to see sins chains released the captive and mercy he bestowed. He claimed our debt with blood-stained brow. God's only Son who's with us and bruised and torn shed 
his own blood for those who scorn, crowned with our sin and pierced with shame, crowds mocked his worth and cursed his name. for three days, but he
Well, good morning. Easter has come again, but not everyone is smiling, right? We know this to be true in our world. We, uh, I prefer to call it Resurrection Sunday. Now, there was a definitive day on a Sunday, first day of the week, where Jesus came forth from the grave. But the way I see it, and I think the way the New Testament presents it every Sunday, is Resurrection Sunday. Where we think about our resurrected Lord and we gather on the Lord's day to worship Him. But there is a paradox when it comes to Resurrection Sunday. Especially on the day in the calendar year. Which we would probably call the holiest day on the calendar for a believer. And that paradox is that not everyone shares our inexpressible joy this morning. Right? Some don't care. Others don't believe. Still others don't know exactly what to believe. And there are also people, and I'm sure you've seen this this week, that are angry at the thought of a man rising from the dead. Why? Because it challenges what they think they know about reality. It challenges what they think they know about the world that they live in. Well, the Bible would remind us that God plays by his own rules. He does things his own way, and they defy, it defies. His ways defy human understanding. Don't you think raising the dead definitely falls into the category of God playing by his own rules and defying human understanding? I think so. You need only to read the Gospels to see how the disciples felt early on Sunday morning when they found the stone rolled away in the tomb empty. They did not immediately think he has risen from the dead. Although he told them clearly many times, destroy this temple in one day, in three days I will raise it up. He gave every reminder that he must suffer before he ever ever entered into his glory, but the disciples did not get that at first. They actually assumed the opposite, uh, that someone had entered the tomb during the night and stolen away the body of our Lord. You will read in John 20, 13, that Mary said to the angels, in an interesting one at one end of the, uh, where he, his body lay and the other one on the other end, and she is weeping. And the angels say to her as she wept, she says to them, they've taken my Lord away and I don't know where they put him. Well, resurrection was the last thing on Mary's mind at that moment when she stooped and actually looked into the tomb. But eventually, they believed. Did they not? They did. Soon the truth hit home, and we've sung it over and over and over again this morning. He's alive. He's alive. They first whispered that truth behind closed doors. He's alive. And then they began to preach it on the streets. He's alive. And then, folks, they took the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ all the way to the center of the Roman Empire. He's alive. That's what happened eventually. A few weeks after the resurrection, or a few weeks after Resurrection Sunday, Peter and John are on their way to the temple when they meet a crippled man who asks them for money. Don't y'all know this story? If you don't know much about the Bible, you probably know this particular phrase. 
Peter replied in those famous words, silver and gold, I do not have. We all say that today, right? <laughs> no, kidding. But what I give to you, I give to you freely. So, and he says this. The title of the sermon is The Saving Name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Wow, what a miracle. It's recorded in Acts chapter 3, verse 6. The man stands up. He's completely healed. And he begins walking and leaping and praising God. On the heels of such an incredible miracle of the healing of a lame man born... Uh, he, he, needed, he was lame from birth. Peter makes this passionate appeal of genuine faith, true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is in 3.19. Just listen to these words. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins, listen to the terminology, may be blotted out. Please remember the common pattern of apostolic preaching was you crucified the Lord of glory. God raised him up from the dead. We are witnesses, so repent and believe. That's the common themes of apostolic preaching. But here in chapter 4, we have the fruit of Peter's sermon. Okay? And that's going to be our text for today. Open up your Bible, Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Here's our text for Resurrection Sunday. Again, following the incredible miracle, and here is the gospel moving forth, and here's what the Lord has to say through Peter. Uh, actually, Luke is the writer of Acts, right? But here's what the Lord's going to say. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed. I told you, not everybody's smiling about the resurrection, right? Greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus, check this out, the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them, put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to be about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. When it says all of the high priestly family, at least 70. The Sanhedrin and others. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired. Check this out, folks. Again, by what power or by what, say it, name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders... If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, notice that word, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name, the saving name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised him from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Now Peter's going to bring the application home. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. In verse 12, and there is salvation in no one else. For 
There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we, here's the command, must be saved. To God be the glory. What was, what was the fruit of Peter's sermon? Jail time and church growth. Is that not what happened? For preaching the name of Jesus, here's the fruit. Jail time and church growth. Uh, Luke was a master craftsman in writing. And he's trying to get you to see, folks, that the gospel message will not be stopped. It will not be stopped. Even jail time cannot stop the growth of the gospel when it is preached and proclaimed. But not everyone was smiling. Correct? The priests, the temple commander, and the Sadducees were annoyed. They didn't believe in miracles. That's why they were sad, you see. Right? They didn't believe in the resurrection or angels. The apostles were not preaching rules. And to the Sanhedrin and to the Sadducees and Pharisees, it's about rule keeping, right? In order to attain favor with God. But that's not what they were preaching. The text says they were preaching the resurrection. They were not presenting moral rules to make people more acceptable. Rather, they were preaching the risen Christ. They were preaching a relationship where you can only be accepted to God through Christ. That's what they were preaching. So if you study about the Sadducees, not only were they sad, you see, but also they believed at 165 B.C. So that's 165 years before 1, 2, 3, 4, got it, up to 2022. They believed that, that the Maccabean revolt actually ushered in the Messianic kingdom. So therefore, what did they teach? They taught that the, the Messiah was not a person, but a political power. Wow, watch out. Does that, overtones? Does that have overtones for our world? So these guys were not only jealous of Christ's popularity, they also saw him as a threat to their Messianic claims. So this group converges on Peter and John and this lame man who's smiling from ear to ear. Because he's never walked a day in his life. And all of a sudden he's able to walk. Can you imagine? Just get the picture. He's been transformed by the resurrected Christ. And they're coming and trying their best to put out this fire. But Luke is a craftsman. He's telling us the enemy tried to stop the gospel. Yet the gospel triumphs. Even when Peter and John were in jail for a night. The enemies of the gospel cannot stop it. Though they try, it will never happen. It cannot be stopped. So you can... Put the apostles in prison. You can kill our disciples. You can crush our missionaries. But you can't stop the gospel. It is categorically impossible. So the next day they're brought. Peter and John are brought before the Sanhedrin. and <laughs> They were in a semicircle. Think about this. This is the way they sat. They were in a semicircle with all their long robes and funny hats. It looks like a graduation from a seminary. When all the professors come in. With funny hats, long robes. And here are these three people, just two fishermen, just, just ordinary men that they thought, how in the world are they speaking so educated when they're not educated? And then there's this man who had been transformed by the risen Christ. And so here's what's going on. It's in two parts. In what power is the question? In what power did you do this? That means what's the source and who gave you the authority to do this? 
And Peter's already told them in chapter 3, verse 6 and verse 16. Chapter 3, verse 6 and verse 16. But they wanted to indict Peter, right? So even though he told people in chapter 3 in whose name this happened, they wanted to hear it from him that it was in the name of Jesus. So these were no doubt the same group of men. Think about this. Seven or eight weeks earlier, they had put Jesus on trial, turned him over to be executed. This is the very same group. And they stood in the midst of them. You know they had to think, is it going to be the same ending for us as it was for the Lord? Here are two simple fishermen. And a man that is happier than we could ever imagine standing with them. And they're standing in the midst of Israel's rulers. And they say, by what power did you do this? By what name did you do this miracle? Now let's, let's remember back on Peter, right? Before I hit the points today. Did you know that two months prior to this event... Peter was actually confronted by a little servant girl. If you know that story, raise your hand. He was, con he was confronted by a little servant girl because she says, I know that you were with Christ. And what does Peter do? I don't know what you're talking about. He does it not once, not twice, but three times. And the last time he does it by cursing and even sums it up with an oath. I am not the one. I had nothing to do with this man. The same Peter who chickened out in the face of a little girl is the same one, the same one denying Christ three times, is standing in front of the very seat of all the power in, in the Jewish world. The very ones who turned over the Lord Jesus Christ to the Romans to have him crucified. And the Bible says he's filled with the Holy Spirit of God and he preaches without compromise. That's the difference the resurrection makes. Right? That's the difference the resurrection makes. And he also fulfills a promise. What did Jesus tell the early disciples? In Matthew 10 and in Luke 21, you will be taken before rulers and kings. And you won't have to worry about what you will say in your defense. In that hour, you are called to speak. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. He will tell you what to say. Here's Peter right in the middle of the Supreme Court of the land. Oh, to God, that someone would speak up in our Supreme Court and give the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, to God, that someone would stand up in the school board. This, this comes down to the need of And give the gospel of Jesus Christ without fear of what people will think. Whatever your place is, in your job, no matter, just, just look at this. Fill with the Holy Spirit. He speaks the word of God. With boldness and without fear. He addresses them respectfully. But the whole tone of the trial moves from them being on trial. To the Sadducees and Sanhedrin being on tri trial. And here it is this morning. Check it out. Let it be known to all. Uh, let's back up to verse 9. If we are being examined today concerning good deed done to a crippled man. By what means this man has been, say it, healed. Did y'all know that Peter actually uses a different Greek word for healed? And it is the salvation word sozo, which means to be saved. In other words, he's saying, are you asking me by what name this man has been saved? Then I've got news for you. And that's why verse 12 says what it says. There's no other name. Hear me this morning, folks. You're not here by accident. 
God wants you to hear this. There is no other name given among men. No other name. And so Peter is reminding them that his healing physically came through faith. But more importantly, his soul's healing came through faith. What good is it if God makes you physically whole but you still end up in hell? Because your soul is not redeemed. And so this is the picture here. Incredible boldness. It is the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. This means the full disclosure of his name. The name is Yahweh. We're going to see it in a few moments. The name of God. With all its character. With all its revelation. And with all of its worth. This was done in the full character. And worth. And work. When he says it's the name of Jesus. Hear this. It's done in the full character. Worth. And work. Of Jesus of Nazareth. In other words, Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. You understand what he's saying? Jesus Christ is Yahweh of the Old Testament. He is God, period. I'll show you in just a moment out of Psalm 118. But we're talking about the real and only Messiah. And what a slap in their face. He is Jesus of Nazareth. In other words, he didn't come from your ranks. He, he's not one that came from your sacred halls. He is contrary to everything you would ever think about or expect. To make sure they knew who he was talking about, they said, Whom you crucified. Talk about applicational preaching, right? Right there in that day, surrounding him, Peter has the audacity to say, You crucified him. You want to talk about criminals? Peter would say, You killed Israel's Messiah. And then he says, but God raised him from the dead. In other words, God vetoed their kangaroo court. The court of heaven overruled the court of men. God overruled and nullified your unjust decision and raised Christ from the dead. And by what name? The name of Jesus. There you have it. You ask, Peter told you. All right, three things this morning. You ready? Quickly, Jesus Christ is rejected by humanity. Do you see the text? Psalm 118, our people have learned that I get there a lot faster than you do because I've got it marked. And this morning, this one's in pink, all right? So 118, Psalm 118, this is what Peter quotes in Acts 4. Listen to chapter, Psalm 118, verse 22. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone... This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Did y'all know that Jesus will quote this twice in his own ministry? And Peter will also quote it in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. That's the other scripture reference I gave you on your outline. Who preached this sermon on the day of Pentecost? All right. And here's Peter's epistle years later. Do you think that encounter meant something to him? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house. Look down in verse uh, 7. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. 
Psalm 118, verse 22, is the first time that the psalmist mentions that. But what does Peter do? He picks up on the rejection of Christ. And who does he put the blame squarely on in that moment? He puts it on the builders. Do y'all think that these uh, Sadducees and scribes knew their Bible? I'm telling you folks, Psalm 118 was the most quoted psalm among the Sanhedrin that was ever there. Why? Because they were thinking about that builder. And they were thinking about the Messiah. So he actually in Psalm 118, the psalmist is inviting the people to come and rejoice. Come and acknowledge Yahweh who saves. There's no question they knew the verse that was before this one. Are y'all looking? Psalm 118 verse 22, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Look at verse 21. I thank you that you, Yahweh, have answered me and you have become my salvation. Who's Yahweh? Look back up. He's the Lord. In other words, Peter is saying that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is God in the flesh. He has become, as the text says, he has become our salvation. The Lord saves. Do you think this made an impression upon the Sanhedrin? I, I think so. Uh, they were wanting to kill Peter for preaching this news. So, Peter is saying that Jesus is the rejected stone whom God made, check this out folks, to be the cornerstone of salvation. They, the Jewish leaders, rejected him. But God not only accepted him, but put him in the position of the absolute highest honor. And here's the shock of it all. These men who should have known better did not recognize the cornerstone for who he is. They didn't recognize Jesus. They made an appalling mistake to become that would become an eternal catastrophe. For over 1,400 years, our God willed that the death of his son, the Lord Jesus, would be foreshadowed. It would be anticipated in history among the Jewish people through animal sacrifices, through the tabernacle and temple worship. But notice what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 23. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Christ has entered into the holy places made without hands, which, are, which were only copies of the true thing. But Christ has gone into heaven now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. So think of this for a moment. Jesus Christ fulfilled all the copies, all the types, whereas the blood of bulls and goats and calves could never fully atone for sin, God ordained it that the Son of God would pay the once-for-all sacrifice for our sins. So, to deal with the heavenly things and to cleanse them, that's the best sacrifice. Amen? It's the better sacrifice. His death and resurrection are the defining moments of all redemptive history. So to reject Jesus means that you have rejected the cornerstone of salvation. The cornerstone is the foundation. Anything you build upon a wrong foundation itself will be wrong. Let me be clear about this this morning. It is not enough to say that Jesus was a good man or a fine teacher or an excellent religious leader but not the Son of God. That's not enough. If he isn't who he says he is, then he can't be trusted at all. 
If Jesus Christ is not God, then the Bible is false. If Jesus Christ is not God, then you're still in your sins and your faith is futile. If Jesus did not resurrect from the grave, there is not a hallelujah chance of salvation. Let's be clear. He is the Son of God. 2,000 years ago, the builders rejected Jesus Christ, and folks, it still happens today. When I was in seminary, we read things that we needed to be aware of that were going on in those days. Some of you seminarians know what I'm talking about. We needed to read what some people that claim to be brilliant biblical scholars actually believe. I don't think they're brilliant scholars at all because they deny what the Bible has to say. Well, one particular group was led by a guy named Robert Funk. And it was called the Jesus Seminar. And he's supposed to be this distinguished, biblical, brilliant scholar. That's the group that actually started voting with red and black marbles to find out which words of Jesus were true and which words were not. They're voting with marbles to find out if Jesus actually did something or if he did not. So since, the, since this group, Jesus Seminar, is overwhelmingly liberal, it won't surprise you that they actually had a vote. And 85%, they said, of the words of Jesus did not actually take place. That's not really what he meant. So by a vote of 25 to 1, they also declared that Jesus did not physically rise from the dead. Dr. Funk feels free to say Jesus didn't really say that or Jesus didn't really do that. So in the Chicago Tribune, it reported on his comments about the crucifixion and resurrection. He doesn't doubt that Jesus was crucified. But what about the resurrection? When it comes to resurrection, here's what Funk says. Well, following the Roman custom, the likelihood is that the body of Jesus suffered the usual fate of a crucified victim, which means what? His body became carrion for scavengers. Or at best, his crucifiers may have given him the hasty burial afforded to criminals in an unknown shallow common grave. So Professor Funk believes that whatever happened on Easter Sunday was merely spiritual, not literal. Physical resurrection from the dead, he believes, never happened. Well, despite his learned ability, Professor Funk is a fool. The kids in our Sunday school department know more than he does because they believe and know that Jesus Christ come forth from the grave. In my opinion, we need to flunk funk. <laughs> right? We do. The builders, listen to this, the builders are still rejecting Christ today. If you deny the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, then you are a false prophet. You are. This, folks, if Jesus didn't come forth from the grave bodily, then you won't be in heaven with a body either. Think about how serious this is. He's the first fruits from the dead. So as Matthew, in Jesus' words, Matthew 7, 21, that not everyone who cries out, Lord, Lord, will actually enter the kingdom of heaven. Not only is Jesus the rejected stone, rejected by men generally. Aren't you thankful for the verse? He came into his own, his own received him not. But as many as did receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And I hope you've done that. But Jesus Christ is also the living stone. In verse 10, the Bible says, Whom God raised from the dead. And let me go back and show you 1 Peter Notice how Peter says this in chapter 2, verse 4. As you come to him, check this out, a living stone 
rejected by men, but in the sight of God. So, the Lord calls the Son of God a stone, and then he says the stone is living. So, we're dealing with a living cornerstone. Not dead, but alive. How could the name of Jesus heal this crippled man? It's because Jesus Christ rose forth from the dead. He's the living stone of eternal salvation. I don't think Peter for a minute would ever forget the rulers in Israel. It must have made a huge impression in his life because later when he writes this particular epistle, he calls Christ the living stone, rejected by men, but called precious by God. When those two things are brought together, what do you get? A living stone. Billy Graham often said it this way. A dead Savior can't save anyone. But a living Christ can change your life. Amen? Hebrews 2, 14 through 15. Listen to what the Bible says about Christ's coming. Chapter 2, verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death... He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. It tells us that Christ came to free those who were enslaved by the devil through, the, through fear of death. On Friday, it may look like the enemy had won. But on Sunday, Jesus won the only battle, battle that really mattered. Right? The resurrection tells us how... It's all going to end for the child of God. I don't know how y'all feel about that, but knowing the end helps us live between. Knowing the end helps us live between. Knowing the end. Easter teaches us that when the battle ages finally come to an end, the home team wins. Amen? Because of resurrection. The future may not be pleasant, but we will overcome when you have faith in the one who rose forth from the dead. That's what it means to call Jesus the living stone. Gives us courage to face death. How do you feel even this morning about facing death? It's precisely at that point where the words of the New Testament are so incredibly important for us. You only need to turn over to Revelation 1.18 to see this. Here's what Jesus declared. I am the living one. Are y'all listening? I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. Check this key. Check this out. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Don't you love that expression? Y'all awake? I know some of you came to graveside. Uh, not graveside. Some, <laughs> there was a grave at the side, but it's empty now, right? Many of you came to sunrise, and maybe you're asleep. But listen to this. He holds the keys. Don't you love that expression? Every time I leave my house... I have a set of keys with me. And there are several keys on the ring. One is for my house. One's for my truck. The rest open certain gates and certain office doors. They give me entrance into places where I'm always welcome. I want to remind you folks, keys matter. Whoever has the keys has the authority and can enter at will. When Jesus came forth from the tomb on Resurrection Sunday, he came forth holding the keys to death Hades in his hand. Proof positive that Jesus conquered the grave. And finally, Jesus Christ is the only name that saves the soul. He's rejected by humanity generally. Right? 
He is the living Christ. He's the living one, the living stone. And finally, he's the only name that saves the soul. With incredible, insane boldness before religious leaders. And there is salvation in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven among men by which we must be saved. Just as the cornerstone was laid, that foundation. Thus how it determined the placement of every other stone on top of it. God has made the cornerstone the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, you understand there's no salvation apart from Jesus. He is the cornerstone. Everything begins and ends with him. If you miss Jesus, you've missed everything God has to say to you. If you miss his name that saves, you've missed everything. Now we come to the end of Peter's brief message to the Sanhedrin. Salvation is found in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Do those words sound strange and harsh in our age of tolerance? Do they? In our age of tolerance? Do they sound strange? Does it sound strange to say that Jesus is the only way to heaven in, in our age of diversity? How about in our age of political correctness? Surely Peter didn't mean what he said, did he? Underline those two phrases. Salvation is found in no one else. I'm a preacher of the Bible. I don't have to say that for it to be true because it's in the Word of God. But I believe it from my radiator to my tailpipe. There is salvation in no one else. So you have to, you have to say the Bible's not true if you're going to walk out of here and say salvation can be found somewhere else. Take that phrase in consideration. It's found in no one else. Why? Because there's no other name other than the saving name of Jesus. So that means you can't cry out to anyone else and have any hope of salvation. You can't cry out to Buddha, not Confucius, not Krishna, not Mohammed, not anyone else but Jesus. It's Jesus only and only Jesus. He's the only Savior God has and the only through faith can you escape hell. By grace through faith, believing in what Christ accomplished. So let every person hearing this morning ponder these statements. One, you cannot reject Christ and have any hope of heaven. You cannot reject Christ and have any hope of heaven. Number two, you cannot look at any other religious leader for salvation. Three, you cannot combine Christ with anyone else or anything else. Four, you, can, you are not free to make up your own religion. Five, you cannot save yourself. In short, you must come to God on his terms, not yours. These words are utterly exclusive. And in the age of tolerance where everything goes, let it be heard and exclusive. There is no salvation in any other name than Jesus Christ. Period. There's no middle ground when it comes to Christ. Several years ago when he was still living, Chuck Colson visited India and preached to huge, huge crowds. And he said as long as he was giving his personal testimony of what had happened in his life, everybody was okay with that. Why? Because in the Hindu way of thinking, you can have whatever guru you want. You just kind of connect and start following. But he said an interesting thing took place. When he would speak about the reason for his faith, which was the resurrection of Christ from the dead, they'd stop nodding. And they'd get still. And they would think intently about that. Why is that the case? Because the resurrection changes everything. Coming forth from the dead changes everything. It reduces every other religious philosophy to mere 
nothing if Christ, in fact, did come forth from the grave. And hallelujah, he did. Amen? If he really rose from the dead, then he stands alone, and no one can be compared to him. Here is the resurrection message reduced to one sentence. He was rejected. He rose from the dead. God made him the cornerstone of salvation. That's the gospel. That, that's the whole point of salvation experience. The gospel is the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But remembering the point of rejection, rising from the dead, cornerstone of salvation. The time has come for you to make a decision one way or the other. Who is Jesus to you? Rejected stone or the cornerstone? Sometimes the Wall Street Journal gets something right. And it did this time. It shows a man walking up a set of stairs toward the gate of heaven. And above the gate is a sign with two words. No deals. This time they got it right. God makes no deals when it comes to heaven. You either enter in by the way of the cross. And what Jesus accomplished or you don't enter in at all. It's sometimes said that the road to heaven is paved with the blood of Christ. Which road are you traveling? I began this morning by saying that not everyone is smiling on Easter Sunday. Do not be like the builders who rejected God's stone. Do not reject Jesus Christ. As 1 Peter says, they stumbled as a rock of offense. The very stone the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. May God open your eyes for you to see who Jesus Christ really is. He is the cornerstone of eternal life. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said. And no man can come to the Father except through me. Do you know him today? Maybe you came in today and to you he was a rejected stone. Perhaps today God is speaking to your heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. I can promise you this. If the light is turning on in your mind and heart about the true identity of Christ, it's not the devil doing it. He doesn't want you to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. As a matter of fact, the Bible says you can't even do that unless you're led by the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is Lord. Can you say that today? The stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone of salvation. Let's pray. Father, as we go into a time of invitation, Lord, help us. Lord, on Easter Sunday morning, to speak the words that Christ came to bear the sins of many. It's such a wonderful phrase. You came. Lord, that's the gospel. If we preach anything else, and we're not preachers, regarding salvation, you came to bear the sins of many. May one person today, Lord, or all of us contemplate the fact that we can be forgiven today, all because of the cross and the resurrection. Lord, may people put faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. May they repent and believe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother Dave is going to lead us in a very familiar hymn, Just As I Am. Would you stand and sing with us? Just as I am without one plea, but
I trust that you have put your faith and trust in Christ. And for believers today, we have an assignment. I know it's rough in our times, but our assignment has not changed. We need to pray for boldness, don't we? They went about preaching the resurrection. That's what got them in trouble. I've got news for you. True believers get in trouble. They cause concentric circles of trouble. As a matter of fact, remember Acts? These men are turning the world upside down, and we need to stop it. Well, you can't stop the gospel. It's just we need boldness today like never before to speak the truth. If Jesus, in fact, is the only way to heaven, the worst thing we can ever do is not tell somebody the truth. Amen? We have a responsibility to tell the truth. God bless you. Glad you were here today. Hope you have a wonderful day. Uh, no evening service, right? Just, just this morning. Uh, and here, look, check this out. We got bathrooms. We got, we got restrooms, right? You can't take a bath in there. We, we technically have a restroom unless you jump up in the sink. Don't do that. But on the left and right as you leave, women to the left, men to the right. Yeah, we, we, have, we have those restrooms. Praise the Lord. Amen. You don't have to run way off to get there. So God bless you. Have a wonderful day. David.